And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women <coughs> and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Madadiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkajah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Jebathai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Haliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that you are with us today. We thank you, Lord, that your love never fails. We thank you, Lord, that you are guiding us and leading us through the reading of Scripture and through worship and through prayer. Lord, as we come to you today to study your word, Lord God, we ask that you'd open the eyes of our hearts so that we might see you. That we, you would open our ears so that we might hear your word. Lord, that you might open us up to what you might be saying to us and lead us so that, Lord, we might be able to go in your name. We thank you, God. We give you all the praise and glory. You are a good God, and we praise you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. It's good to be back with you this week. Last week I was on a residency for the master's program I'm doing, and uh, it's good to be back. I'm glad, though, that you got a chance to listen to uh, Pastor Joshua Wilson and uh, what he had to share from 2 Corinthians. I know that was a powerful word as well. So, but now that we're back, uh, we are back in our study of Nehemiah. And as we studied a couple weeks ago, because you know it's been a week since we've been in Nehemiah, we've seen this shift in, in the narrative. So if you haven't been with us, the whole kind of first part of Nehemiah is about the building of this wall. Nehemiah was a an high official in the Persian government. He got a letter from his people in Jerusalem, he was Jewish, that said they were in trouble, their walls were broken down, they needed help. So he came, and so the whole first part of, 
uh, Nehemiah is the building of the wall, just building, building, building through troubles and trials and enemies before them, and, and at every turn, kind of the wall possibly not getting built, finally it was built. So now we read that as the wall is built, they turned from rebuilding to reforming. They turned their, uh, their gaze, Nehemiah and also the people of, it, of Jerusalem, towards what kind of society they wanted. What were the values they wanted to have in Jerusalem? What were the, the, the foundational practices and tenets that they wanted to have as they kind of had this, this do-over for their city? I mean, not many of us get a do-over in life. But the city of Jerusalem got a do-over here. It had a second life, a second chance. And so we see here that the people wanted to make sure that their second chance got started out right. And they started it out, they wanted to start it out then with the foundation of the word of God. We read in our passage that all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the people and the men, women, and others so all could understand. So basically what's happening here is this big Bible study. That's what was happening. All of the people in Jerusalem, so thousands of people got together, and they just wanted to read the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible. So if you look at the first five books of the Bible, that's basically what the prophet Ezra was reading. He got up, and he just read verse by verse, and they just listened for like five or six hours. Now just imagine that for a second. It would be like all the churches in New York, every church member from New York gathering in Central Park and just kind of standing from 6 a.m. in the morning to like 1 in the afternoon and, and no preaching, no worship music, no you know, lights, no fanfare, but just Tim Keller or some other influential preacher coming up and going, uh, John chapter 1, uh, and then going verse by verse through the, the Bible. Now, I think for most of us, we might probably skip that, uh, that reading of the Bible. You know, I, it's not that we don't value the Bible or want to read the Bible, but six hours of reading of the Bible, I think probably most of us would be like, oh, I don't know, I've got better things to do, going to fall asleep in the middle of it. But we see that the people of Israel at that time, they gathered for a reason. They had a need. It was need that compelled them that day to sit there in front of Ezra and listen. It was their instigation. They wanted to be there. And the instigation was that they knew that if they didn't have the word of God um, as central, they would worship other gods. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you'll see this pattern. When the law of God is present, the people of God worshiped God. But when the law of God was gone, forgotten, you know, people stopped looking at it, the people of God wandered. They went away. They, they, uh, they worshipped other gods. They, they, they missed basically who they were. 
They forgot their identity as people of God, and they forgot who God was. They started worshiping other gods or misrepresenting God. So as the people of Jerusalem rededicated their city to God, they knew that they needed the word of God to be the foundation of their city, or they would go right back to what they did. As Christians, we share the same desire as the people did that day long ago. Because as Christians, we are people of the book as well. We believe in this divine book that God inspired writers to write over you know, the span of thousands of years. That is the word of God. That is, that is our guide to who God is and what God is about. Especially in our tradition, we believe in a theological tenet called sola scriptura. That's Latin for only scripture. And so that means that the Bible is the only source of revelation about God. It's the only source of revelation about God's plan, of God's character, the only place where we learn about God's Son, Jesus Christ. So we are also people of the book. We believe that. And we also believe that we have more revelation about God than the people in Nehemiah's time had. They had the first five books of the Bible, which, like I said, is called the Torah. But we believe that in the revelation of Jesus Christ, there is also, Jesus gives us the full revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ as well. So we believe in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We don't throw away the Old Testament because that shows us who God is as well. But we also have the New Testament, the Gospels, the Epistles that show us who God is in Jesus Christ as well. So we are people of the book. We would agree with the ancient Israelites. We may not want to sit for six hours and listen to the word read, but we believe that the Bible is true. If you're a Christian, it's part and parcel of being a Christian to believe that the Bible is God's unique way of communicating with the world. It communicates his story to the world. But still, though we might share the same commitment as the Israelites back then, we also share the same problem. We have the same issue that they had. Because in the same way, if we forget the word, if we don't listen to the word, we also wander away to other ways and other paths. And we even misrepresent God. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in your life. You know, if you feel like you're at a, a plateau in your life, if you feel like, you know, you're doubting God or that God's not real anymore, you're, you know, whatever you're in the midst of, just that God's not present, often what is connected with that is a lack of studying the word. Just notice that in your life. Often when we start having those feelings, the word kind of gets forgotten. We start not, we don't look at the word for guidance and help. We kind of in our frustration with God or our situation, we just let that kind of go to the side. And that's because the word, even though sometimes the word can be hard to understand, the word can be confusing, there are some very interesting Bible verses that don't make a lot of sense to us, um, and there are also some stories in the Old Testament that we kind of go, what is going on there? We don't understand. But still, this book is the book that we believe shows us who God is. It is God's unique revelation. It records his unique revelation of himself to the world. The book itself is not God. It's not something to worship. 
but we hear about God through it, and that's why it's important. So we believe that as Christians. I think if you're a Christian, you're not going to, most of us are not going to be like, Chris, I take issue with that. I disagree with it. But still the problem is, we may kind of appreciate the book, but we may not read the book. You know, there's a, a recent study from Lifeway, uh, a Christian you know, bookstore chain, but they do good research as well. They're not, it's not like biased research, just like showing how good Christian books are. But they did research recently about um, reading the Bible. And they found that Americans in general, including Christians, have a generally positive view of the Bible. And they also found that 90% of American households own a Bible, which I think is a little high, but maybe in the South it would make more sense. But, um, but it would at least be in the high 80s that people own a Bible. But they showed that less than 50% have ever really read the Bible, and only 10% read the Bible with any regularity. So it, showed, it illustrates the problem, right? That even though we might have a positive idea about the Bible, we don't always read the Bible. And the danger in that is that if we're not reading the Word and struggling with the Word and trying to grapple with the Word and understand the Word, then we're missing God's voice towards us. We're missing his revelation towards us. And ultimately, like the Israelites, we can lose ourselves. We can lose our identity as the people of God. We can lose our purpose as God's ambassadors to the world. We can lose God's, uh, God's love and God's care for the world. And we can go on other paths and other gods and other ways of thinking. So today we're going to learn from uh, the ancient Jerusalemites about how kind of to listen to God. And we see three kind of aspects of listening to God here. And we, we hear about, firstly, that they listened humbly. And secondly, they listened attentively. And thirdly, they listened responsively. And as a part of this, we're going to talk then about how we can listen in these ways to God. And when I speak about this, um, I'm not necessarily speaking about kind of like how you need to listen to God every day. You know, because that's going to change with us. Some of us are on like every day we should have a quiet time. And that can be helpful, but it can often sometimes not be helpful because it becomes just this thing you do. It's mechanical. It's not, it's not life-giving. Some of us may not have any times reading the Bible with God. Sundays are the only time we ever hear the word of God spoken. And for us, then, we might be going, okay, I, I, should, I should see if I can try to listen to the word throughout the week. But no matter kind of where you're at, whether you are kind of in this place where you need more life in your regular reading with God or you don't read the word of God at all and you should be reading it more, these three tenets, I think, will help kind of breathe life into how we listen to God. So the first one is listening humbly to God. We see in verse 1 that we just read earlier, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. Now, Nehemiah makes very clear to say that they came as one. And just think about that. Just think about how hard it is for any group of people to come with like one mind and one attitude and one kind of sentiment about anything. You know, think about your schools or your workplaces or like clubs you're in. How hard is it to have like 
agreement about anything. Even in the church, it's hard for us to like, be like we're all in agreement, the same accord about everything. But it says basically the Hebrew word here means they came as one person. That's how unified they were. Remember, the, the ancient community in, Israel, in Jerusalem at this time was not unified. We've just been reading in weeks past about all the divisions in Jerusalem. There were problems between rich and poor. You know, the rich were exploiting the poor. We read problems about people from the tribes outside of Israel, of Jerusalem, and the, and the people who lived in Jerusalem and all the conflicts they had. We also read about political issues. There were people who supported Nehemiah. There were people who didn't support Nehemiah. And those guys were kind of at, at, um, at odds with each other. But we see here that the word of God had this power to bring them above their divisions and above their differences and focus them on something that was beyond themselves. And that's the power that the word has for our fellowship and for the church in general as well. It has this power to bring us, to lift us up beyond just our divisions and our differences and focus us on something different. Focus us on something that is bigger than ourselves. Focus us on God in Jesus Christ. And we, we see this in the scriptures because the scriptures is primarily not about us. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Often when we come to the scriptures... We come to it in a, in a basically us-centered manner, and I do this as well. You know, I need some help, I look in the Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm down in the dumps, I look in the Bible. I, you know, I want a little encouragement for the day, I look in the Bible. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, because we read that the, the Holy Spirit is actually the one who guides the Bibles. It, it makes it alive. So we, the Holy Spirit is actually leading and guiding the Bible, so... We can look at the word and be inspired and guided and given wisdom by it. It's great. But ultimately, the Bible is not about us, primarily, even though it does talk about who we are, but it's primarily about God. And that changes the way that we look at the Bible. If we look at the Bible about us, then we can use the Bible in all kinds of different ways. If the Bible is primarily about me, I can use it as a hammer to knock you over the head. And show you how much better I am or kind of use it as judgment to you about everything. I could, if the Bible is just about me, I can use it to justify all kinds of sinful and evil things that I do. I can just find an obscure verse and say, yep, that's it. That's why I'm doing it. That's why I'm right. Also, if the Bible is just about me, then the Bible can just become another you know, rule book. You know, I know I'm doing good. I know God loves me. I know everything's fine if I just follow the rules. Or it can even just become like this guide to the good life. That if I follow the Bible, then God's going to give me wealth. He's going to give me success. I'm going to get an A on all my tests. I'm going to get, you know, a, I'm going to get a, a promotion at work and a raise. If I just read the Bible, that's what God's going to do for me. But we see that all of those things fall apart. Because the Bible is not only about us. The Bible is primarily about God. The Bible is the story of God's love and God's plan and God's revelation in Jesus Christ. 
And so if we read the book, uh, the Bible, only about us, then it's going to discourage us when the Bible doesn't deliver. You know, I go to the Bible one day, I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm discouraged. Ah, it doesn't encourage me. Ah, I don't want to read it anymore. And I throw it away. But if I look at the Bible as primarily about God and what God is doing and God's plan and God's revelation in Jesus Christ, then every time I read the Bible, even if I read a passage that I just do not get, you know, like Old Testament passages about like uh, before the flood and things like that that are very confusing, I can still go, there's something about God's plan in here. Even maybe I can look at it from a little, you know, uh, more kind of, bird's eye view perspective and get a different perspective of it. But there's something in there about God's plan. When we look at the Bible as being about God's work and God's will and God's plan, it gives us a different appreciation for the word. Because it's not about fitting God into our story, but it's about finding ourselves in God's story. That's ultimately, when we read the scriptures, we're challenged not just to go, how does the Bible fit into my story? What, what I'm doing, what's going on in my life, what's happening right in this moment, but to go, how do I fit into God's story? This whole story of salvation is happening. We can, we can see the scripture kind of like a mountain. The Old Testament is going up the mountain. The top of the mountain is Jesus Christ, and then the New Testament is going down the mountain and showing us how to live in the light of God's grace and love in Jesus Christ. And so we're living on that side of the mountain. But as we read the scriptures, we learn about the story, about what God continues to do and how he's continuing to bring his hope and love into the world. And then we go, how, God, can I be a part of your story? How, God, can I conform to your will and not make you conform to my will? That's what it means for us to humbly come before the word. The people of Jerusalem at that time wanted to just listen to the word. They wanted to just bow down before God's word. They wanted to be conformed by it. They wanted again to, be, to remember where they fit in God's story. And the blessing when we read the scriptures, we find out we do fit into God's story. All of us do. You and I have a part to play in God's story. We talked about that two weeks ago, about how all of us uniquely have been blessed by God, and through our experiences, through our backgrounds, through our culture, through everything, God is forming that to make something uniquely that God has called you to do, that you are valuable to God, but we are reminded of that in Scripture. So we're called to humbly come before Scripture. And also as we come to Scripture, we also see that we're called to be attentive and expectant about Scripture. We see this in the people of Israel again. We read that they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. And they, were ex they listened attentively to the book of the law. Now... Just imagine this for a second again. So this is the beginning of the, the nation of, of or the, the city of Jerusalem again. They don't start with fanfare and speeches. They start with the word. But it's not Nehemiah who instigates it. It's not the leaders. It's the people. The people say, Ezra, prophet, give us the word. We want to hear it. 
It would be like on a Sunday, I come in at 12 and all of you are just like sitting here silently, just like looking at me going, give us the word, please. We're waiting. Where is it? We want to hear it now. It's like a preacher's dream if that ever happened. I mean, it's just like, you know, to to have everyone just be like, please feed us the word. But that's the idea that we see from the, the people of Jerusalem here. They were expectantly waiting for the word. Now, the word expectant is this kind of word that is filled with so much kind of hope and excitement. If you've ever been expectant about something, you're excitedly kind of waiting for it. You're excitedly hoping for it. You know, we kind of think like Caroline and and, uh, Jonas were expectantly waiting, you know, their baby to come this uh, over the last weeks. And so, but we all have those moments where we're expectantly waiting. And that's the kind of attitude that we're called to cultivate about God's word. I don't know the last time you approached the Bible and were like, I'm really waiting for God's, God's going to tell me something from this book. I know it. God's got a word. He's going to show me how I fit into his plan. I'm going to see God's plan in a greater way. It's going to make sense to me. I'm so excited. I don't know about you, but I don't often come with that kind of expectancy to the word. Just don't. If I'm honest, I don't. I come with hope to the word sometimes, but not with expectancy. But expectancy is something that we can cultivate in our lives. All it does, for us, all it means for us, is that when we come to the word, we come going, God, you're real. God, I trust you. God, you have something to say in this word. This is the way you uniquely speak to humanity. And I'm going to trust that you're speaking to, you, to me now. That's the way we cultivate expectancy as we read the scriptures. Is we trust. So I encourage you, before you read the Bible next time, just to do that little kind of mantra. Just to say to yourself, God, you're real. God, I trust you. God, you're working. God, your word is alive. Your spirit's working in the word. Your word has a plan. I want to see your plan. I want to be part of your story. Show me how I fit. And then read the scripture. You'll have a different experience with the word than if you just opened it, you know, without that intentional mindset and attention towards expectancy. We can see that they were expectantly, they listened attentively. And that's something else to cultivate in our life too. You know, for us in the modern world, listening attentively to anything, I think, is a trial. Like, our attention, like they've, they've done various studies about how attention spans are kind of going down and down and down and down. Like, it's just our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter just because we're bombarded by so many different images. And we can just switch to so many different images so quickly. But one thing when we listen to the Word is allowing ourselves to actually have the opposite, is to learn how to listen intently, to listen and then chew on it, and learn how to to give a a longer attention span to Scripture than a shorter attention span. It's kind of, I was thinking about this uh, earlier today, and this is kind of a funny tie-in, but it's about, I think about the connection between sunscreen. You know, this summer, my family put out a lot of sunscreen, and my wife constantly told me that, you know, you put on the sunscreen and you got to let it sit. 
We can't go in the water right away. If we do, then it'll just, you know, uh, just kind of wash off. But if you let it sit, it'll sink in to our skin, and then it'll, it'll work the way it should. And that's the same with the Word. The Word of God, if we just read it, like our Bible studies, like I'm just going to read a verse, blah, 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 put it away, I'm done. It has limited effect in our life. Because the Word of God is meant to sink into our lives. It needs time to sink in. So I encourage you, when you read the Word, maybe just read a verse and then put it down and think about it. Maybe pick the same word up again and read it. Put it down and think about it. Just give it a chance to sink in to your, to your, to your thoughts and to your feelings. You know, sometimes I have just, for like a month, just memorized one verse. Just gone through that verse over and over and over again. Or like a group of passages, just to read it over and over again, just to let it sink in. There's merits to reading the scripture kind of from a bird's eye view. Just kind of letting it all sink in. But there's also merits just to letting it kind of one verse just kind of sink in little by little. And John Calvin said it this way. He said, a Christian must allow the word to become deeply fixed in their own hearts. So that's also our work in responding to the word. God gives us his word graciously. Through his word, he shows us his love in Jesus Christ. Through his spirit, he, he shares the word with our hearts. But our work is to let it come deeply into our hearts. And this also kind of relates to preaching, to kind of what's happening right now. You know, preaching is the word being exegeted and spoken. And so in the same way, when, we, when you hear preaching, whether it's me or somebody else, we're also called to listen attentively. You know, we can just listen and kind of just let it fly by, kind of check our phones, th- doing things like that. Again, the distractions, the attention span going like, Bunk. but the challenge, as Calvin kind of uh, illustrated for us, is to allow the words to become deeply fixed in our hearts. You know, so often today with kind of preaching and church, it's all about relevancy, right? You know, you can, like I talked about a couple weeks ago, you can look at any preacher, any message, any teacher on a podcast, just, you know, a, a video, just one second. You got, you got anything you want. You've got little clips and, uh, of anything you'd like. But for us as kind of the local church sitting here every Sunday, it is partly my job to try to make the word relevant to you. So I will try every week to make it relevant. I think and pray about that every single week. But ultimately, the job of relevancy is not mine, but it's yours. It's, it's your work to let the word become deeply fixed in your heart. So that means every week, it means listening to the word, but also seeking for it, how to, asking the questions, how does this relate to me? How does this connect with me? How does this fit in my life? Even taking notes, allowing yourself to kind of just go, what does it mean to me? That's the question that you need to ask. That is what helps the word become deeply ingrained in your life. So as we do that, we see that the response that comes is a response of worship. 
We see in verse 6 that Ezra, after the reading of the Lord, the word was done, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So this is the response to the, to the word for the people. They worshipped God. They firstly said, Amen, Amen. Now if you never knew what that word meant before, Amen, it basically comes from the Hebrew, which in the Hebrew it means aman, aman. And the word means truly or correctly or may it be so. So this is kind of the first way we respond to the word. When we read the word, when we hear the word spoken uh, and preached, when we listen to it uh, in a podcast or in other ways, if we read it on our own, when, it, when we've read it, our response is to be, amen, amen. And what we do when we're saying that is, firstly, we're firstly saying, truly, correctly. We're affirming that the word of God is true. The word of God is correct. Even though I might not understand it in that moment, that I can say, God, you've got a purpose for this. It's inspired. This is your word. It's true. But then we also say, and may it be so. And may it be so. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus instructs us to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's basically another form of this prayer of amen. When we say amen, we're basically saying, may it be so, may God's kingdom come. May what is described in his word happen in New York, in Elmhurst, in this church. May it be so. And may God use me and may God use you to make that so. So when we read scripture, when we, when we meditate on it, when we're done, we can just simply say, Amen. May it be so, God. And may you use me to make it so. And then lastly, we see that as they, they worship God, it says they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now basically what this describes is they were laying down like full prostrate on the ground. And they weren't worshiping the, the, the word. They were worshiping the God of the word. But what they're reminding us here is that when we come to the word, we're called to come and respond to it with humility and worship. We're called to submit ourselves before God. And more than anything, we're called to be teachable. Someone asked me the other day of, of what I value most in a musician. And I told them basically that I value musicians to be teachable. That if a musician is not teachable, then they're going to be really frustrating to work with. Because they're going to think they know what they're doing, and they're not going to take correction, even though they don't know what they're doing. But a teachable musician will be able to take correction and grow and learn. And that's the same thing with us as Christians. I think you've all met non-teachable Christians. Christians who are, just are not teachable. They are frustrating. They are set in their ways. They, they say they're right even when they're wrong. And when they are shown to be wrong, they will not admit they're wrong. They are not teachable. But one thing the word teaches us is that we're called, if we want to learn the word and receive it and listen to it, we need to be teachable. 
We can, we can read the Bible all day, and it will mean nothing to us if we're not teachable. You can, you can do a Bible study for 20 minutes, seven days a week, and it will mean nothing. You will not grow at all if you are not teachable. We see that one, one defining kind of aspect of the people of Jerusalem at this time is they were teachable. They came as one, they bowed down, they worshipped, they were open, they prostrated themselves. They were teachable. So I encourage us all to be teachable. If we see areas of hardness where the scriptures does not penetrate us, to ask God to open our hearts and to open our minds. If we see that we have attitudes towards others, or towards people in general, um, towards the church, towards family, whatever it might be, that the scripture cannot break through. Jesus tells us to forgive, and you're like, I'm not forgiven. That's a call to repent and ask God, make me teachable. Help me to grow. Help me to learn. We have the same problem that the, the Israelites had. We can easily turn away when we forget to listen to the word. So I encourage us to listen to the word so that we can come humbly before God. We can grow in attentiveness to God. We can become teachable and learn from God and his word. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, just thank you that you are doing something amazing in your word. It's not just about us. It's about you. Thank you, Lord, that you are guiding and teaching us and leading us through your word. Help us, Lord, to be attentive to your word. Help us, Lord, to listen to your word with expectation. Lord, knowing that you're working. Help us, Lord, to approach your word humbly. Help us, Lord, to approach your word with joy, knowing it's speaking about our salvation. Help us, Lord, to approach your word, Lord, with uh, a teachable spirit so that you can work with us and through us. We thank you, God. You are good. Your love endures forever. We love you. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.